Trey bumped into me earlier and said, are you in charge today? And I said, well, I'm preaching. I don't know if that means I'm in charge. Uh, but I got to thinking about that, and I told the earlier group this morning that I was actually kind of, although I miss being over there and I want to be back over there, I was kind of glad that we were still over here today because usually the one who is preaching tends to get all the questions and has to answer all of the So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to do a lot of deflecting or whatever it may be that, that, uh, uh, today because of some of the changes and whatnot that are over there. Uh, we are quickly approaching the end of our study of 1 Corinthians. In your Bible classes today, you looked at 1 Corinthians 14. I'm actually going to be looking at the first part of 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as we read this text that Paul wrote to the Corinthians that has been preserved for us today. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers, at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. May God bless the reading of his word. Kind of play the what if game, or, or can you imagine? What if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead? What if there really was no resurrection with its triumph and empty tomb? What if we are clutching a lie to our hearts? If we are finding joy and living day by day with what turns out to be an illusion, what would be the consequence of walking by a faith that has no basis? If Christ has not been raised from the dead and there is no Christian gospel, then there is nothing more to this world than the jungle out there on our city streets. For persons without the assurance of salvation, evil and violence and vulgarity are just going to have their way until they slowly destroy all that is lovely and pure and innocent and society comes crashing down around us. If Christ is not risen from the dead, it's as if the pilots and Herods of this world have won and that we had better get busy looking out for number one. If life is to the ruthless and strong, then never mind who gets hurt in the scramble. It is the person who is shrewd and knows how to take care of him or herself who is going to survive the battle. If the resurrection has not taken place, all faith is futile. There is no meaning to our history. There is no guiding hand. There is no loving purpose being accomplished. No divine plan being worked out. You and I are just living out our 70 or 80 years, pouring out, pouring out our work, 
our care, our love and suffering for a world going nowhere at all, for an evil joke called human life perpetrated by chance. Can you imagine attending a funeral and have no hope of being reunited with a loved one or loved ones? To simply fall off the edge of time into a black hole of void? To, have, uh, to not have the face of a loving master waiting for you? No countenance shining with radiance of the knowledge of God's glory. No voice to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. If Jesus Christ is not risen, then there is no forgiveness from the Father. The prayer that Jesus uttered from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, has been heard by no one. And it reflects no heart of divine love, for if Christ is not risen, there is no God of triumphant goodness, and we are still in our sins. Can you imagine what it would mean not to know any forgiveness in a world such as ours? Never to know any pardon for the many evils of our society in which we are daily implicated? Never to experience any grace toward our own personal failures? Never to have the chance of starting over in a new beginning? Never to be able to escape the guilty burden of a past which can only be done away by God? What would it be like to live with the burden of guilt hanging over your head? To never know any final forgiveness? To never have a Heavenly Father bend over and wipe away your tears and to ease your aching heart? To never have a day when the past is pardoned and a new beginning is given? To not know and trust that Christ is risen from the dead means not to be human. It means that there is nothing and no one beyond this world to whom we owe our being. If God did not have the power to conquer the grave, then he had no power to create in the beginning. A God defeated by death could not make the wonders we find in this universe, much less us. Not to have a creator to thank for the glories of the morning, not to stand under the stars at night and to marvel at the love of him who made them, not ever to sense that there is mystery beyond what we can see and feel and hear and that somehow we were made to respond to the mystery with all our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength. You know, I don't think it's coincidental that Paul saves the best for last. This is the fourth and final topic that he's going to address with the Corinthian church. As we've uh, spent time over the past, uh, I guess, 11, this is our 12th week, pouring over this book, uh, beginning in chapter 1, Paul addresses uh, the quarreling and divisions within the Corinthian church. And then in chapter 7, he actually begins addressing the problems that they wrote to him about. Marriage and sexual immorality, food offered to idols, public worship, in chapter, 12, in chapter 12, sorry, he talks about the uses and misuses of spiritual gift and finally comes to chapter 15 and sums it all up, if you will, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know if saving the best for last is the most appropriate terminology, but could it be that the moral failings of the Corinthians were in fact surface symptoms of their misunderstanding or erroneous belief which lies at the very heart of the gospel, which is the death 
and resurrection of Jesus. After all, if there is no resurrection, then we go right back to the long list of what ifs. And can you imagine that we just read? You see, there were rumors that were circulating in Corinth, uh, probably some from Gnostics who were uh, teaching at the time, probably some as well from the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That, indeed, there was no resurrection. And not only that there was no resurrection, but obviously that even Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead. But Paul reminds them that indeed there is. That they believed in it and that it's something that they stands on. And he says, let me remind you, brothers, the gospel which you received, which I proclaim to you. They didn't discover it. He didn't hold a gun to their head and say, this is what you've got to believe. I shared it with you. You received it freely. You chose to believe in that gospel. The foundational gospel truth that Christ died, that Christ was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared. Paul is arguing for the reality of the resurrection. He's not interested, or his concern is not Christ's death and its significance, although that is very important. But his concern is that Christ really was raised from the dead and that he did appear to many people, including Peter, the twelve, five hundred of the brothers, James, all of the apostles. These can all attest to it, including Paul himself. Paul says, I know it to be true because I have seen him and others have seen him. In a Wednesday night class that we just uh, finished up uh, this past week, uh, we were studying uh, the passage John 3.16, and there was one of the chapters that we looked at, or one of the lessons that we looked at, was talking about how do we know that Jesus Christ really raised from the dead? How do we know that he lives today? And one of the things that was uh, suggested as an example is, how do we know that George Washington was really the first president of the United States? How do we know that for a fact? We believe that, we trust that because it's been handed down to us because we read it in a book. How do we know that there was a battle of Gettysburg? We know that there's a place where a battle was fought. There are relics, there are artifacts from that battle. It's been passed down to us, we believe it, we read it in a book. Bring it a little bit closer to home. I think it was just last week or maybe two weeks ago that uh, they celebrated the 20th anniversary of the falling of the, of the wall in Berlin. How do we know for a fact that there was a concrete, still reinforced wall that separated East Berlin from West Berlin? Many of us saw that wall. We saw it when it came down. Bring it even closer. How do we know that just less than 10 years ago, there were two twin towers in New York City that came crashing down because jetliners were crashed into them? We saw that with our very own eyes. We know that things happen because people attest to him, because we can attest to him, because they've been passed down to us. And Paul is saying just that. Jesus did appear, and I know that he lives. And not only because I saw him, because I can see what he has done in me. The fact that Jesus appeared to Paul was certainly memorable. But, his, but Paul is quick to, to put himself in his place. The term abnormally or untimely born, as was read, that's a, I read about 15 different commentaries and there were roughly 15 different interpretations. But basically, and you can challenge me on this if you want to, I think that what he's trying to say there is that the least, I am the least. I, not only did I didn't deserve it, but there was no chance 
that I uh, should have the gospel delivered to me. Uh, I was talking to Paul Howard a couple of weeks ago, and I saw him again this morning and got a chance to ask him about his little granddaughter. Uh, her name is Grace, by the way. Many of you know we've been praying for her. She was born at week 23. She weighed just uh, either just over a pound or just under a pound. Uh, today, she weighs five pounds and uh, five and a half pounds. Uh, she's still in the hospital. There was hope that she was going to come home uh, before Thanksgiving, but now it looks like she's actually going to get to go home December 15th, which December 15th was actually her original due date. She did not have a chance. There was no chance. There was no reason, nothing that gave her a chance to live. Her organs were not developed. Her lungs were not developed. And yet, because of the grace of God, because of prayer, because of the work of medical technology, because of everything, she is still with us today. And she continues to get stronger. She's developing a personality. And, you know, Paul is saying the same thing. I didn't deserve. There's no reason why he should appear to me. He had been the enemy of the church, yet the grace of God through the power of the resurrected Christ had turned his life completely around. When Paul encountered Jesus, he recognized his own sin. For the first time, he realized how far his external religious life was from being internally godly. He saw himself as he really was, an enemy of God and a persecutor of the church. He experienced a revolution in character. He went from being an enemy of the church to one of her greatest defenders. His life was transformed from self-righteous hatred to sacrificial love. He changed from being an oppressor to being a servant. From being an imprisoner to a deliverer. From a life taker to a life giver. From a judge to a friend. He experienced a radical redirection of his energy. He was a passionate, zealous person. And just as passionately and energetically as he had ever opposed the family of God, now he served it proudly. All because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reality of the resurrection declares that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, mysteriously and mercifully made of his death a saving event that dealt with the sinful condition of all humanity. So how do we know that Jesus lives today? How do we know that he died, that he really died, that he was raised? Well, for one, Paul just said it. We have it in the Bible. It's been handed down to us. But just look around. Look around. Look at yourself. Some of you know where you've been. Some of, uh, uh, some of us uh, have come from a pretty bad place, uh, a pretty far place. But it's because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the grace of God, that we are where we are today. That we are who we are today. I got, um, was overhearing a conversation, I guess it was about a month ago, when they had the fields of faith. And um, uh, Ethan was home, or the kids had come home, they'd all been down. This was a fellowship of Christian athletes that happened down here at the San Angelo Stadium, and a lot of our youth went. And uh, I overheard a conversation that Ethan was having with Larissa. And she was asking him how it was and, or what he thought about it because she was down there. And he said, well, it was okay. But, you know, they always get these speakers that have always been 
uh, former drug addicts or they get these speakers that have been alcoholics or they're no, no good doers. You know, they've been in jail or something. I mean, they had some kind of really terrible life. And he said, and that's all good, but I don't really identify with that because I, I haven't been there. I, I, don't, I've, I haven't been down that road. Sometimes it's hard for me to really be able to get involved with, with what they're saying because it doesn't really speak to me. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, you know, that's right. Many of us haven't been down that road. Many of us haven't uh, been in bad places or haven't come uh, from such a far away. But that doesn't mean that we don't need grace just as much as anyone else. That doesn't mean that God's grace doesn't work in us just as much as it does with anyone else. I know uh, for me personally, I, I can look and I think, well, you know, I, I didn't come from, from that bad of a place. And yet, and I came sort of coined a term, I've got to throw this in, and may not fit appropriately, but... You know, you've heard of ADD, you've heard of PTSD, COPD, uh, MDD, PPD, and all these disorders that are coming around today, and everybody's throwing them around. Well, I came up with one that I know applies to me. Maybe it applies to some of you. I'm not going to be the one to judge. You judge for yourself, but it's uh, OBS, that we suffer from OBS. Now, be careful with the way you use those, uh, that acronym. But I call that old bro- older brother syndrome. You know, the one that stayed home, the one that always did what daddy wanted, the one that was loyal, the one that actually got jealous of the prodigal. We know who we are. We are in just as bad, of, uh, or in just as much need of grace as the one who has been, been far away. We have all been bathed in grace. Our past can certainly attest to how far we've come But wherever we are today or whoever we are today is because Jesus did rise from the grave and grace did not come to us in vain. We are changed people. Paul says that grace did not come to him in vain. He says, look at me. Remember who I was? But look look what's happened. Look what I've done. I came to you, the Corinthians, and I preached God's good news. And you accepted that. It is because of the resurrected Jesus and by God's grace that I stand before you today. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of God's grace that you are here today. Uh, It's because of the grace of God that Sid uttered such a beautiful prayer earlier. And Troy Eads uttered such a beautiful prayer this morning. It's because of the grace of God that we all stand here in this church, that we make up this church. The series that we've been studying, we've titled it Coming Together as a church because Christ Jesus was raised from the dead and because he lives we are a church we work and learn to love and abide with each other to reach out to each other to cry and rejoice with each other to be a blessing to each other and to have hope and to know that this meeting here today that the reason we are here today is God's grace did not come to us in vain. By God's grace, we are a fellowship of His people. We offer an invitation. That invitation is always open for whatever the need may be. Some of our elders and our staff, just like we've done the past couple of weeks, are going to be standing at different places uh, within this uh, auditorium, within this gymnasium. And if you have a need, I hope you will go and you will visit with them. 
But I hope that you leave here today knowing without a doubt that Jesus lives and it is by His grace that we are who we are. Let's stand and sing.